0: our series for those who are visiting today or if you've been away we have been continuing our series on the bride of christ and by the way we have a website pastor mike goes home on sunday afternoons and he uploads and downloads and whatever he does you can tell how techy i am and it's put up on the website and it's put up on youtube you can go to youtube and you can find the messages Uh, it's even audio he even puts up audio that if you want to listen to it through the week or pass it on to somebody while you're driving in the car so all of those things are available to you if you've missed out and you want to know where we've been and what we've talked about in the previous weeks about the bride of christ and so we are in this series we started remember at the beginning with an introduction And we talked about the fact that human history started with what? Adam and Eve in the garden. And so there was that aspect of man and woman, this bridegroom and bride that God created. And right at the beginning in a garden, you can find that in Genesis chapter 2. And then we see that natural history, notice I said the word natural history, ends with a prepared bride being presented to God's worthy son, the bridegroom. Now, we know that as that comes to an end, that is only the beginning of eternity of what's going to happen. But we have looked at this scripture and we said, let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. We talked about the fact that when we talk and say the bride, what we're referring to is the church. It is the people of God. We are the church. We are the church getting ready for that great day and the wedding feast of the bridegroom. And then we mentioned last week remember, we talked about the fact that the church is not this building. We should say, really, house of worship, tabernacle, sanctuary, because this is not the church. Though we say it, we use that terminology I'm going to church. We emphasize the fact that church is the people. We're the church, you're the church, we're the church together. That's when we're talking about church here and the church, the bride getting herself ready, we're talking about us as individuals, not the building. Last week we looked at why church, why should we go to church, what's church all about And we concluded that church is not about you, your family's needs, or your wishes and wants, or even the good old hymns that you like. It is not about any of that, even though some of that is good. The church is here for one purpose. It's all for the glory of God. And so we are to do everything that we do as a church. Our focus needs to be all. We do it all to the glory of God. And so last week we looked at the why, why church. This week we're looking at the what. What is the church supposed to be? What is it supposed to look like? What, what is the characteristics of the church? And so we see that this church, the characteristics we find in our passage today of Acts chapter 2, that they were devoted. These, these are the characteristics we're going to look at uh, this morning. After a morning service, a father observed his young son in the back of the sanctuary looking at a plaque on the wall. And when the father joined him, the youngster asked, what was that plaque, daddy, on the wall? And the father replied, well, son, it was put up there in memory of all those who have died in the service. You get it already. Turning to his father, he asked, morning or evening? It's interesting, they've done a door-to-door survey, and this was quite a a few years ago, why go to church? And this is the question they were asking at Willow Creek Community, went out into their community and asked the question, why don't you go to church? And uh, why aren't you going? And here's the five biggest reasons why people don't go to church. Guess what number one is? Boring. Boring. Number two, oh, how many times have I heard this as a pastor? Irrelevant. Number three, what does the church do all the time? Ask for money. Number four, I'm too busy. And number five, I feel awkward at church. So is that what church is about? Is that really what the bride of Christ is about? That it's boring? That it's irrelevant? That they're hypocritical? Is that what Christ died for? Is that what the church is supposed to be in these days? Well, I believe today we need to go back to the inception of the church, back to the first day of the church, back to the beginning to see how God what God would want in his church. What is a church really to look like? What are the church's objectives? What are the church's characteristics? So we go back to this inception, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the birth of the church. In Acts 2, we see the birth of of the church. The birthday. Now we're not in Pentecost yet, but the day of Pentecost is actually a celebration of the birthday of the church. Now at Christmas, we sing happy birthday to Jesus. Maybe we need to have a cake uh, on Pentecost, and we need to be singing Happy Birthday to the church. Because it was in that moment when you see that shirt, that chart, that Jesus had his ministry on the earth that we read in the Gospels, and it was three and a half years but there came a point after the cross and the resurrection in the beginning of the book of acts now remember here luke wrote luke's gospel and then he wrote the book of acts really you should read luke's gospel and the book of acts together because what happens is jesus now ascends returns to the father in heaven and then there's a 10 year a 10 year 10 day waiting Period. They are to go and to pray and to wait. And then, what happens on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and the church is born. And now, the church, as you see in the book of Acts, they take the teaching and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and they continue on and spread his work. And actually, the book of Acts is over a period of 30 years. We read it and we read it very quickly but it is actually over 30 years. So now that Jesus has returned to the Father, he returns to the Father that the Holy Spirit might be poured out. And as they are there, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, and Peter and all of them now filled with the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they go out from that room that they were waiting in, and the people in the community think they're what? Drunk. Drunk. They are so filled with the Holy Spirit. They're so full of joy. People think they've been in the booze and they haven't had anything to do with it. They don't need it. Amen? Praise God. Been there, done that? No thanks. That's another whole different message. And so they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, Peter begins to preach his first message. This is doubting Peter. This is Peter who denied God, Jesus. Now, Jesus makes sure that they have the first men's breakfast, by the way, is biblical. And uh, well, we don't always have fish for a men's breakfast, but it's biblical have a men's breakfast because Jesus cooked for the men on the shore. They got together, and Jesus made sure that Peter knew all was forgiven, and Peter was restored into his position after denying the Lord three times. Isn't that wonderful? doesn't matter how many times you've denied God, there's always an opportunity to come home. Amen? There's proof of it. And uh, Jesus makes sure he does that with Peter in front of the other disciples, so they all know, too, Peter's back in in his proper role that God has for him. And and so now Peter comes out, and he, filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches this message. And I love, if you back up a bit in chapter 2 there, it says in verse 37, And the people were cut to the heart, and they asked, What should we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're not happy to keep it to themselves. They're already telling them that what we just experienced, you can experience as well. Verse 41 says that those who welcomed his message were baptized, and 3,000, can you imagine how messy that would be? 3,000 were added to the church in one day. We've talked last week about the visible and the invisible church. It's an important concept to get when we're talking about the bride of Christ. Because we, for those that weren't here, and just to remind some of us, this is a local, tangible church where we gather and where we encourage one another and we worship the Lord And it's a visible church, just like there are visible churches all over West Prince, all over Atlantic Canada, all over the globe. Edward is going to a church this morning in Malawi, a visible church in Malawi. And so there are visible churches. But the bride of Christ is an invisible, glorious church that's getting herself ready And she spans over 2,000 years, and until the Lord returns, he's getting his church, the bride, ready. And it is from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. There is this universal, glorious church that Christ is returning for. See, once you personally believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and once you are saved, you now become a member not of this local church, though we do have formal membership here, you become a member of that glorious universal church. You become a part of the body of Christ. You become a son and daughter and the family of God. You you see, it's not enough to say, well, my grandma used to come to church here. It's not enough to come Sunday after Sunday and think through osmosis something's going to rub off. You can come to this local church and sit in a pew. You can give money. I know my stepdad was even a greeter out of the door for years before he finally made a decision for Christ. And he was even a board member and he hadn't accepted Christ. Imagine when he, the church, when he stood up on a Sunday to give his testimony and said, my uncle Verbal, I was just at his church in Pennsylvania and I got saved. (laughs) When my mom and him stood up in their church that he had been on the board for years and people assumed that he was saved. And in that moment, he moved from being a part of the Bethel Mississauga Church into a part of the glorious universal church, the body of Christ. So I'm asking this, and I think it's important we nail this down before we move on. See, see, once I have accepted him as my lord and savior and now i'm a part of the true church and i'm a part of the family of god there is now a sign of covenant the new covenant i am no longer under the old adam i'm now under christ the new adam and so it's not circumcision and men say praise god it is now through the waters of baptism that I show that I'm a part of this glorious universal church that's getting herself ready. And so I'm asking you the question today. This is an important question. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know and have you repented and asked for your sins to be forgiven, that you know that when he died on the cross and that blood was shed, it was shed for you that your sins are nailed to the cross with him they are gone and they are forgiven and so if so we have to ask that important question have you been baptized have you been baptized See, see, we see here in the early church, they've been obedient to everything that Jesus has told them to do, and now they're waiting, and they're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they have been obedient to wait, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. But Jesus also told people to go and what? Baptize. Baptize people. The sign of the new covenant is baptism. And so here's the hard question. Have you gone under the waters of baptism? If you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for your Lord and Savior, why have you not done what he's asked you to do? And this covenant, the new sign of the covenant is baptism. Now, here's a little sidebar. There is a sign-up sheet at that inn, at that little table by the door. It's not saying, Pastor, I've got it all nailed down or I've got it all figured out. All you would do if you sign that today is I'm interested in hearing more about the sacrament of baptism. That's all it is. But I want to challenge you today that that is the sign of being a part of the bride of Christ, is baptism. And so it's time for many to take that next step. And so they devoted themselves to... Now, one of the interesting things we see here that there's thousands of new believers, and they've got no building to meet in, they don't have anything called a pastor, they have no knowledge of Christian life, no church constitution or manual, no set of creeds, all they've got is the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them, and then all of a sudden, from that little group of 3,000 and plus, they start to sweep over the Roman Empire over the next years as you read the book of Acts, What they're able to do in 30 years with the power of God. The church is beginning to move. The church is being added to daily. And so it's amazing as we see this flame begins to spread. But we are told in this inception that there are four things that they continue to do in verse 42. And some other things in the verses after. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Chuck Swindle uses the word wife when you're thinking of bride as an acronym to show what he has as worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. And so we're asking today the what. And this is very simple simple, simple, simple. The what. And so we see the church devoted themselves to worship. And I'm preaching to the choir. You're here today to worship. But I do know I can come into a place of worship and not necessarily worship. I've had Sundays like that. Have you had Sundays like that? Where you're there, but you're not there. Remember we talked a while back about the gift of your presence? It's an attitude of heart when we come. It's not the church is here or the worship team is here to whip you up, to put you in the mood. It is you have come, you have made the choice that I am coming today to worship. No matter what's going on, no matter how I feel. And I have found the days that I don't feel like it is when God shows up very powerfully. Amen to that in my life. And so they saw the importance of worship. We see that we're told about the breaking of bread, that they gathered to break Bread. Now here, things have changed so much over the years, and we've got it so good, my friends, so good. But the early church, there was no such thing as weekend. There was no such thing, oh, I got two days off a week. Uh, most of them worked seven days a week. Uh, the reality was, why do you think in the Lord's Prayer they prayed, give us today our daily bread? Because you were fortunate if you had bread enough today to eat. And so that meant you worked seven days a week. And in those seven days a week, you didn't have time to necessarily get to the temple or those places. You would do your part if you could. But the reality was the early church, what they used is they used their evenings and they used the common meal as a way to come together. And as they ate a meal together, they would talk and teach about Jesus. And at the end of that meal, it would end with the breaking of bread and remembering the Lord's suffering and death. And so that sacrament of communion was practiced as they had spiritual conversations. Verse 47 says they went around praising God. They were always giving God the and, and glory, and it says they enjoyed the favor of all the people because of that. They had experienced a genuine joy. Their lives had been changed and transformed. They would never be the same again. They would never be the same again. And they were filled with such joy. People saw it. It was radiant upon them. It wasn't whipped up. And they gave God the glory, as we talked last week, that he deserved. You know, my friends, God still seeks worship. That is our role, our calling, as we looked at last week. It is to worship God. That's what we're going to get to do for eternity He still wants to, you know, we felt his presence this morning. He wants to inhabit the praises of his people. And the more we praise, guess what? The more he inhabits. The less we praise, the less he inhabits. People have been saying, you know, pastor, I feel the presence of the Lord. Well, it's because you've been praising him. The glory of God is falling on us, and the more we praise him, the more glory there'll be, and the move of God. But the moment you come in, and this is your attitude in church, and, well, I don't think there'll be much inhabitation of the Lord. And it's because we have not drawn near to God, and therefore God does not draw near to us. He inhabits the praises of his people. You know, I remember hearing about God moving powerfully in a church out west in Manitoba, and they went to interview the pastors, and we had gone down to uh, Charlottetown to hear from some of them and, and, and for them to share. And there was a statement they always said that challenges me in my prayer. And God reminded me of it again this week. He said, we stop praying for a visitation of God, and we start praying for a holy habitation of God that God would habitate with us, build His throne in our midst. Instead of just asking God to drop down and do a little visit, and then I go back to my regular life. God inhabits the praises of His people, and we're told that they were a people of prayer. And all through Acts, because we know shortly after this, Peter and them are on their way to where? The temple to pray when they encounter the man begging before they go to the temple. They prayed in each other's homes, they prayed at the temple, they prayed individually, and they prayed as a church corporately, and that's exactly what Kenny is inviting the church to do on Monday evenings. The church was devoted, not just to worship, they were devoted to instruction. That's scripture. We're told here the teaching of the apostles. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but they didn't have this. Church, we have it. We have it all. They had They didn't have this. So they had the spoken word. They didn't have the written word. They had the Old Testament and they had the early disciples. That's why it's so important. It's the teaching of the apostles because the apostles are now teaching them the truths about Jesus. They're telling the gospel in verbal form of what Jesus did and what he didn't do. And they're also, you know, they're giving doctrine and theology to the groundwork of the early church about what is actually the truth and what isn't. And so We have the truth today over 2,000 years because they were devoted to instruction in the Word of God. I couldn't help to think as I was going over my message this morning, what am I going to pass on We have the truth and doctrine and theology and and right teaching today because over the generations, people have sat in this church in Sunday school rooms and classes and stood behind this pulpit and gathered in homes and shared the word of God, the truth. And now we can't even get ourselves together. And that's your choice, but what will happen in generations to come when instruction is not important to us? When well, we're not devoted to instruction, when well, we're not devoted to the Word of God. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. The common we're hearing here is the teaching and the theology, the basis of what they taught and what they knew about Jesus. That's why they could write it down years later, is because they heard it and it was taught. And we see that instruction in the Word of God is the biblical backbone of the bride. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And there's something in here that we probably wouldn't think about, but the ones who early read it knew. The Jewish people devoted themselves to Moses' teaching. These are Jews here. And so instead of devoting themselves to Moses' teaching, now they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is ultimately devoting themselves to Jesus and his story and his life, because he has now become their new authority and king. The church, here's one, the church devoted themselves to fellowship. Mark, what's that word? Koinonia. And so it's different. It, it was a very unique uh, word, fellowship. You know, we say fellowship and it means somebody brings some cookies and sandwiches and we have a cup of coffee or tea. Now, you can have koinonia in that, but fellowship is so much more. You can have a potluck and have a meal, but then you can have koinonia at a meal. See, there's, there's two different things because koinonia is shared life, koinia is community. It's what we have in common. We we come together to share life together. Now, many people that I meet today, it's that communion and close relationship. It's iron sharpening iron. It's spurring one another on in love. It's weeping when one weeps and rejoicing with one rejoicing. And there's too much in the church today. Fellowship is an add-on. It's optional. Well, I don't feel like going or being involved today or, or a games night with the seniors. I I don't feel like that. I'm not up to it. That's not what it's about, my friends. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It's pretty hard for me to spur you on and encourage you as a pastor if I never have an opportunity to talk to you, if I never have an opportunity besides on a Sunday going and doing the queen's wave. Well, now it's the king's wave. I don't know. His is different. <laughs> You see, it's about a shared life together, and we need to share life together. The church, after doing all of these things, being devoted to these, there was also, the church was devoted to expression. So this is now this natural outflowing of worship and God's Word and fellowship that now the church goes out much like it did that morning in the upper room. It goes out into its everyday life, and wherever they see people, there is this praying and caring and sharing, naturally the outflow of the Spirit. Yes, E is also evangelism, but it's not the kind of evangelism that we get. try to wrap our minds around, that we see it as a duty, and we see it as a job, and you go to tell someone about Jesus, and my Word, I don't know they'd ever want to hear it when they see our faces. But on the way and as they were going, just like Jesus in the gospel, while Jesus was on the way to. And so in your everyday life, God is wanting us to take what we're experiencing and expressing it out in the byways and the highways, out there where people live, where people are struggling, where people are going through real life experiences. And so this expression and compassion is the working out of our faith. They went from, it says, they made together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. And so they were devoted. They were devoted to Christ, and they were devoted to spreading this good news. We've often talked about, we still haven't done it. Marvin and I have had that conversation that that sign is supposed to go up over the door. You are now entering the mission field. That every Sunday when you walk out of this place and every Sunday or every Wednesday or Friday night for the youth, we need to realize that when we leave this building together, we are now entering our mission field in another week. This is our mission field. This is where God is is wanting to use us. And so we see in these four things, there's so much in here, and we don't have time today, that in these four things, there is that horizontal, and there's also the vertical. There is this vertical where they're worshiping and receiving instruction, and then there is this beauty of the vertical where they're in fellowship, and from that fellowship, they go out and express and evangelize. And so we talk about the cruciform life, that in the early church, they're living the cruciform life as they are devoted to these four things. I want to challenge you in the rest of February. Did you ever think about inviting someone into your home? Now, many of you don't do it. But I want to challenge you. Maybe it's to invite somebody in for coffee. Someone you normally have not had conversation with. Wouldn't that be something... Just in the month of February, the month of love, let's show the love of God to each other. Maybe there's someone today that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and say, I want you to share your faith with. And I want to challenge you to pray about that and to share your faith with someone this week. Don't not contrive. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an opportunity. Lord, you know what one of the most important things we can do daily? Lord, I'm available. I'm available. You want to use me today? Lord, use me. That's all you're doing is you're asking, Lord, who would you have me share my faith with today? Who would you have me show compassion to today? Who would you have me pray for today? And the amazing thing is these four objectives led to things further in the church. Now, I love what Leonard Ravenhill, has anybody ever heard Leonard Ravenhill's messages? Oh, my word. Pastor Mike and I, Marvin, Man, if you want to listen to something, Google Leonard Ravenhill and some of his messages. And he's got some quite interesting quotes. But he said, in the New Testament church, it says they were all amazed. And now in our churches, everyone wants to be amused. See, Marvin's laughing because we can even hear him say it, his personality and his intonation. He was quite a preacher of the word. These objectives now bring some results that we see in the early church. First of all, we're told in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone was in awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Man, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see signs and wonders and miracles and everyone in awe. But it wasn't just them in awe. It's those outside of the body of Christ that are in awe. Good news. I remember Kenny saying many, many years ago, Pastor, I'm hearing good report. And I said, Kenny, it's like this. They're going to talk, so let's give them something good to talk about. We need to have and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's doing. That good report and good news goes forth from his people. And people start asking you, what's that all about? What's going on? Man, I've seen such a change and transformation in you. What's, what's, ha- what's happened? Why are you always happy and full of joy? See, God was moving, and it gave them opportunity to share The church was generous. Oh, there's that money, pastor. They're always asking for money. Uh, We're told in verse 45 that they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all. Now, we know they didn't sell their main home and that because they met in each other's homes. But some of them were wealthy, and they realized there were so many needs that as the Spirit, hear that? As the Spirit led them, they sold things that they could come and bring it to the apostles so that it could be used to help those who had not. And so they were taking accountability and responsibility for each other. And praise God, the church was full of joy. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now remember, there's a difference between happy, 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 happy and genuine joy. You can be going through a lot of difficulty, but you can still have the joy of the Lord. That doesn't make sense to people. That's when they look at you and think, What is going on? You've lost your loved one and yet you still have joy. You're you got diagnosed with an illness, but yet you still have joy. See, they don't, people cannot understand that outside the faith. That it becomes an opportunity. And then the church, praise God, hallelujah, was not dying. Do you read anywhere in here that the church was dying? The church was. Are you awake out there? The church was growing. It's on the screen, people. The church was growing. The Lord was adding to their number. Daily, daily the Lord was adding. Was it man adding? The Lord was adding to their number daily. There was an attractiveness and an energy. Marian Jacobson says people are not persuaded, they are attracted. Did you get that? People are not persuaded. They are attracted. We must be able to communicate far more by what we are than by what we say. And Jesus is the one who will grow his church. We have to do our part, and then we leave the rest with God. Amen? Here is an interesting point. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we're starting to bring this to a close how many times have we read this passage and we think it's a step-to-step manual for church growth and and if we do these four steps then God's going to, you know, we'll see growth. You know, Lord, I heard this message today. Pastor Betty's making me feel guilty because I need to be more dedicated to worship. And, oh, man, I should be out at Wednesday night Bible study, and I'm not. And maybe the adult Sunday school. Well, I haven't got the kids to Sunday school for... Oh, man, you know, I need to... Well, yeah, maybe the next next potluck, I should really cook a meal and be there. That's probably what it is. And, oh, yeah, this week I need to share my faith with... Yeah, I'll, I'll do my part, Pastor. I'll try to be a, bit, a little bit better at that. That's too often. That's what we've seen this as. Another list of you're already busy and you got so much to do and let me give you more to do. Right? I saw the place just kind of... as We went through the four things. Everyone's just... <laughs> it's not a step to step manual people to church growth. God is not interested in our programs and our 12 steps and our let's get it all figured out and let's go to big conferences. And I've been there, done that. Every church is different. Every culture is different. Every community and the needs in your community is different. Do you know what we need? It goes right back to the beginning of chapter 2 they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that leads the church and directs the church and shows the church and adds to the church. And so here's my question for you today. How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled You see, there is that moment, and I remember it back in 1984, two weeks after I got saved, and I was going to be the right Christian, and I was going to be the perfect Christian, and I was going to show all those hypocrites how it's done. (laughs) And I was the worst Christian you ever met, because I was like Paul. What I wanted to do, (laughs) I didn't do. I couldn't get it together. It didn't work out. I went through a battle after I got saved. And for two weeks, I said to the Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know. But whatever's going on, Lord, here I am, all of me. All of me. You have it all. You have the kids. You have the husband. You have the house. You have the car. By the way, he did take some of that. You have it all. And then in that moment there was an empowerment that hit me and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I wasn't able to even articulate till months later. I didn't know what happened, but I do know that the Betty Zita that got up off that carpet, and I did business with the carpet in that family room down in my little house in the basement, that when I got up from that floor, I was a different woman. And I was never the same. And there is an infilling, and my friends, there is a continual filling that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so there's a daily infilling continually. Notice it says there, be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And so if we want to be the bride of Christ, if we want to get ourselves ready, oh, we can do the list. And hear me right, all those things are important. But I'll tell you right now what is needed in the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene and what's needed in my life is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit and a fresh infilling of the Spirit. You know, the early apostles went around and said, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed because that shows us there is the possibility to have my ticket to heaven to say the prayer but I have no experience of the Holy Spirit and I have not understood it. I have not a personal relationship with the third person of the Trinity, not an it, and he. Jesus returned to the Father that the Holy Spirit could be poured out upon the church, not this building, us. And so as we bring this message to a close, I want to end and ask you to stand to your feet. There is this quote from N.T. Wright that hit my heart this week. And he said, where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, and shrinking. It's time to read Acts two forty-two to 47 again. It's time to get down on our knees and ask, what isn't happening that should be happening? The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. And what are we doing about it? Maybe today you would say, Pastor, I've been a part and I come in and out of the physical church, but I can't honestly say that I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, that it's been nailed down, that I know that He forgives me of my sins, and that I want indeed to be part of that universal church, the Bride of Christ. Maybe today is the day. Maybe today is the day and you would say, Pastor, I'm needing a fresh, infilling, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much you have received, the Lord wants to give you more. Hallelujah. And he wants to give you so much that when people rub you the wrong way, you splash Jesus on them. Because my week has a way of all of a sudden, things are happening... Or if you're doing ministry, if you're ministering to hurting people, you're having to pour out, and you can't continue to pour out unless you've received. And so as we sing this closing song, I'm encouraging you to come forward today, whatever your need would be today. Come forward, and let's pray together, and let's believe God for great days ahead because of the God we serve. Amen and amen. Then we'll pray.